Is there a link between high-performance sports teams and high-performance businesses? My name is Luron, reporter at HRD Connect, and you're listening to HRD Live Podcasts. On this episode, I'm joined by Ben Hunt-Davis, MBE, Director of Will It Make the Boat Go Faster, an Olympian and a gold medalist for the national rowing team. Hi, Ben. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much for inviting me. Great. So could you just uh, start off by introducing yourself and um, your background experience and how you went into Will Make the Boat Go Faster? Yeah, sure. So so my name's Ben Hunt-Davis and I, uh, I was a rower. Uh, I was in the British national team for uh, nine years. I competed at six world championships and three Olympics. Uh, and then since then, I've actually stayed involved in Team GB, and I've supported the team at the at the last three Summer Olympics, so Beijing, London, and Rio, and I'm hoping to be in Tokyo next year. Uh, so I've been involved in elite sport for, for a long time, obviously. <clears throat> and uh, when I retired from sport, I started working for a training company for a number of years, and then I kind of I, I've been working in that area for some time, and I set up a business called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster Seven seven years ago and we work with clients all around the world trying to help them be, have performance cultures basically performance mm-hmm. leadership performance teams performance cultures that's that's really what we're interested in focus on great sounds exciting yeah it's fun it's really fun working with so many different organizations it's, it's really interesting to see mm. how how cultures change in different organizations mm, sounds great so um how was your sort of transition from um training 14 18 times a week to this sort of um not rigid but sort of work-life structure how did how did the balance sort of um, maintain itself so so it was a massive change but um in a way i was kind of lucky the way it worked out i uh, finished the Olympics, got married three weeks later, went on a three-month honeymoon, came back. Uh, my wife was pregnant. I had no job and we were living with my dad. So there was a kind of real focus and need to get on with stuff. I didn't have the luxury of hanging around, waiting to see what happened. And I got a job with a training company, and it was very clear that the people I was working with understood business. They understood the concepts. They un- they, they understood what they were doing. They, they knew what they were doing, and I didn't. <laughs> and they would kind of hired me on a bit of a punt. They're going, well, you seem to have some experience. Maybe we can work out what's useful in there and so I started in a position where I was very aware that I knew nothing and I was surrounded by people who were, who were really good and that really helped my competitive spirit because I, I was looking at these people going I want to be as good as these people and so I went on a learning journey and it was it was really really fun and and getting into a structured work lifestyle was no different from sport I'm sport I turned up at the same place to do similar training every single day and work was great because we only did it for five days a week, so rather than seven. So, so the transition worked worked really, really well. I was lucky to work with a great company who supported me really well and helped me learn fast because that's that's what I had to do. Mm. And I guess the, one of the major benefits is that you don't have to wake up at six a.m. in the morning to go to work, or is that still yeah, sort of well, underlying? <laughs> but I mean, so when when we were kind of client facing, you've got to be uh, whatever the venue is, wherever it may be, early. So actually, the early mornings just kept rolling oh no that's a shame <laughs> ah, that's fine that's fine i'm happy with mornings yeah you're used to it anyway <laughs> yeah i'm happier in the morning than i'm in the evening okay yeah morning persons are the best yeah. people <laughs> so what would you say are the biggest sort of um, similarities between business and sports so so rather than talk about the, the similarities i think kind of firstly the differences mm-hmm. are the people that people very often focus on um the difference is that you know, in sport, it's really clear. The goals are very clear and timely and all the rest of it. And in businesses, it's not necessarily like that. In teams, people, uh, with sport, people look at the team on the field, whether it be 15, 11 people, whether it be seven people on a court, whether it be nine people in a boat. And that's what they think is a team. 
And in business, they go, oh, but we've got hundreds of people. And they think that's different. Um, people think that, oh, well, in sport, everyone's really motivated and you know everyone's there because they want to be and they're not in business. And actually, I think a lot of those differences are, are rubbish. Mm-hmm. So with us, we had nine people in the boat and we had about 60 people on the bank supporting us. Wow. You know, you've got 11 people who go out onto a football pitch and how many people are behind them? How, mm-hmm. how big is the organisation? It's massive. It's absolutely massive. And when we think about sport, we very often think about just what happens on the pitch, in the on the water, whatever it is, rather than actually the whole team that supports it, which is re- which is a business. Um, we talk about how in sport everyone's really dedicated, motivated. Yeah, and we make a choice to turn up to work every day. Every day we have a choice as to whether we stay in bed or whether we turn up. And I think the motivation is is actually also really similar. I think the context is obviously very different. And the thing about clarity of goal, yeah, in sport, I knew that on the 24th of September 2000, that was the big moment. And most businesses don't have a big moment. But the goals still should be as clear. And if they're not as clear, I'd want to know from the leadership why the goals aren't so clear. Mm. So I think actually, in terms of approach, in terms of pulling people together to achieve a goal, in terms of creating a learning environment, I think, I think, yeah, I say the context is very different. Whether you put on a, a pair of boots with studs on the bottom or you put on some shoes to go into the office, the context is different. But actually, what you're doing is really, really similar. Mm. Okay. And then talking about your sort of um, sporting days and talking about sports in general and talking about the differences between sports and business, would you say that there could be sometimes a challenge to um, replicate that? Because the sport is quite competitive, even though it's quite friendly and then... You said there was nine people in the boat, but I can imagine there was 20 people on the sideline, one in your seat in the boat, and the same with football as well. Do you not think that that can remain a bit of a toxic culture in the workplace at all, or do you feel it's very friendly? So I think um, so. I think being competitive in sports, we had nine seats in the boat, eight, we got the cocks and then eight rows in the mm-hmm. boat. And at the training centre, there were 16 people training for those eight seats. And we'd turn up trials and there'd be 100 people trialling for those seats. And in the workplace, it's also competitive to a degree. Most people, I think, are competitive and want to do a good job. I, I didn't think my mum was competitive until she had grandkids. And now I found actually she's really competitive. You know, I think everybody's got competitiveness in them somewhere. And how it shows up is different. And making sure that when it does show up, it's not toxic. I think that is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And so working out really what's most important for the team, for the organization versus for me is is really important. I think sometimes when it becomes toxic, it's because I put me, my ego, what I want in front of what actually we all want in order to succeed and win. Mm. And in sport, it is obvious. In a boat, we either all win or we all lose. And in an organization, in a you know, normal company, it's possible for some people to win and other people to lose to a degree. In a football team, it's possible for some people to do well and other people to do badly. Okay, so the whole team might win or lose, but people might get promoted or do other stuff. Um, so, but I think working out what's really most important is the goal of the organisation, the goal of the team. Is that more important, or is am I going to put my needs first? And I think that's when it becomes difficult and more toxic. Mm. Okay. And so you talked about culture before, and um, once again, culture, sports and businesses are quite relatable. How important do you feel culture is in today's age with um, high-performance businesses? So culture is critical, absolutely critical. So in terms of high-performance businesses, I think 
I think it's worth kind of explaining what my view of high performance is. So mm-hmm. um, you see some organizations, businesses or sports teams who get great results. But I wouldn't necessarily mean that that defines them as being high performance. So I think high performance means delivering of results, absolutely. And then also having a culture where people are constantly learning and improving. If you've managed to work something out and you get a set of results and you keep doing the same thing, for a time that'll continue to deliver results, but that doesn't necessarily lead to the next set of results going to come. As soon as things in the environment change, you'll probably stop getting the results and you're not high performing. Whereas a high performance team, high performance organization is one that I think is constantly learning, developing, challenging, pushing what they can do, pushing how good they can be on an individual and team level. Mm-hmm. So the crew I was in, I mean, we, we won the last three races and, you know, that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we were high performing long before we started to win because we got to a place where we were learning faster than the people around us. We had a culture where improvement was absolutely critical and that turned us into a high performance team which enabled us to deliver the results. And sometimes people measure how good they are on their results, which is just a measure of what you've done. It's not a measure of what's going to happen next. Mm. And the the culture you need in order to continually learn and develop and challenge, that is critical to guarantee the next set of results. Yeah. So I think in sport and business, I think high performance culture is critical. And and there are lots of different factors that come into it. So people talk about millennials or they talk about, you know, where people are working in, where you've got teams spread around the world. It makes it much harder. But having the culture where people can be open, where they can challenge, where there's a desire to rather than just say, yes, I did it, going, well, how well did I do it? Mm. Yeah, rather than just get, you know, doing the tick list thing of going, yes, I did this and this and this, but how I spoke to how many clients, but how good were you when you did it? With each client you spoke to, were you doing a slightly better job? Were you improving your skills? Were you improving your knowledge or were you just doing the same thing? Mm. And so whether people are based remotely or in the same place, I think a culture is absolutely critical to help people constantly be better than they were. And what do you feel are the challenges behind um, creating that culture? Because um, obviously many businesses come to you and say, I want this high-performing culture. What what are the challenges that you come across that they um, sort of experience, do you think? So, um, so, 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 so as kind of my business, Will and Made the Bogo Faster, we've got mm-hmm. three key principles we follow to try and tackle exactly those problems. So the first one is about the clarity of direction. So for us, we asked the question, when I was rowing, it was, Will it make the boat go faster? If it's not going to make the boat go faster, we'll just... We just shouldn't do it. And I think with a lot of organizations, there's a leadership and direction issue where people aren't necessarily clear on what they should be doing. So people act on autopilot. They do what they've done before. They do what's in front of them. They do what other people are doing rather than making conscious decisions about how they should spend their time and energy to make sure they're doing it in the stuff that'll actually add value. Mm. I mean, so much of us spend time doing stuff that just doesn't add value. Uh, and so leadership providing that clarity direction so everybody knows what their equivalent question of will it make the boat go faster is. That's that's the first thing. I think that's absolutely critical. Without clarity direction, you can't challenge or you certainly can't answer useful questions. The second bit about the continuous learning. Setting up a culture where people can admit that they haven't done stuff as well as they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Where people can admit they don't know the answers. Where people can have honest conversations about to help them improve and in some cultures where you can't 
be honest and you can't go well I you know I'm not I'm not sure the answer about this or I didn't do such a good job here but you know I think if I do this differently or you know what did you do I saw that worked really well can you tell me more about it if you can't have those honest learning conversations then it can't be a high performance culture mm. and I think that the kind of third bit we spend a lot of time looking at is the team around you in order to help you do the first two things really well in order to continually challenge around making the boat go faster in order to continually be learning I mean, conceptually, it's really easily, but practically, it's really hard to do. And actually, having the right people around you to say, you know, have you done this or how did you do that or I saw that, that was great. Um, not just the the classic team where people are doing different things, but the support functions where people can help you do the stuff you said you're going to do. Because mm. most of us know we should do stuff and we don't because because we want an easy life, because we're tired, because we're... Because other stuff gets in the way, and having the people around you to hold you accountable, to keep you, to keep you on it, I think is really, really important. Mm. So, we help people address those three key things about direction, about kind of learning culture, and about you know the help and support, so that people can have a high performance culture and then get results. Mm. You have some great points you made about sort of them opening up and seeing what you had to work on. Because everyone else, like like yourself, if you had a four year Olympiad, not it's not going to go from A to B constantly upwards you're going to have to um, I assume unless you're a perfect sort of squads or a perfect business that it's going to have up and downs and yeah. making sure that you're working on things and being like will this make it go faster or if you have a bad session on the water or if you have a bad quarter then you're able to open up about that and be transparent is quite important I yeah. can imagine. Understanding why mm. and so often people have a bad quarter and they go right okay let's double down and work really hard. What doing exactly the same thing because that was right last time or you know, is there different stuff you should be doing? Or if you had a great quarter, you know, why was it so good? Rather than just going, that was great, let's move forward. I'd want to know what were the things that you did that enabled you to do so well? Because presumably you want to replicate that. You want to do more of that. And being able to have those honest conversations where people can share what's great and what's not so great and learn both ways and have an idea of what they should be trying to do next time. Because when I was rowing, we would before starting the first session of the day in Hammersmith we would know that the Aussies had finished their training they'd done three or four sessions that day we knew the Russians would probably be on their second session the Germans Dutch Italians would be partway through their first session the Americans and Canadians hadn't woken up yet you know but they would do their three or four sessions or maybe five and were we going to work harder than any of these people no everybody was training their ass off mm -hmm. the only way we were going to be able to go faster than was by by learning more each day so at the beginning of the day going right specifically what are the skills we're trying to improve today uh, and then going out and working them and coming back and going okay so did we improve that skill you know what happened what worked how do we do it better next session that was the only way we were going to go faster and i think in business it's so easy to just go oh, i'll just finish off this at the end of the day or i'll you know when the kids are in bed i'll finish off this email and we get to a point where we go this email's taken half an hour it should be a five minute job mm -hmm. but I'm just knackered and I'm just not actually being productive. And it's easy to do that rather than just stop and go, what are the key things that actually will really make a difference? And how much thought do I need to put into them to make sure I do them as well as possible? And, you know, the next time I go into a meeting, if people are spending 50, 60, 70% of their time in organizations and meetings, are they any better at the end of the month than they were at the beginning of the month having meetings or are they just had different conversations rather mm -hmm. than going, okay, so... You know, with this meeting, how do we do it better next time? 
Mm. How do we make sure we can take 10 minutes off or five minutes off? How do we make a decision 5% faster? Those are the conversations people need to be having, having rather than just doing more. Yeah. But but you need an open culture where you can do that. Mm-hmm. And sort of uh, with this sort of culture and you guys um, constantly egging each other on, did, where did that come from? Like, I'm intrigued to know where that sort of culture came from. Did it come from the coaching team to instill that, um, that message onto you guys? Or was it um, you guys yourselves who were like, we need to... We need to be uh, more stronger mentally and like uh, work towards a specific goal. So I think predominantly it actually came from our crew coach, a guy called Martin McElroy, who mm. was who, who had an engineering background and kind of process improvement was what he did. And also our sports psychologist, Chris Cran- Chris Shambrick, they were critical in the setup. Um, and the thing that Chris probably worked hardest on with us was developing a learning culture, because without that. I mean, two years before the Olympics, we were seventh in the world, which was kind of normal for us. Mm-hmm. And and the, the people who won the world championships that year, the Americans, they knew they had to keep going faster, if not the Germans or the Russians would catch them. It was clear that if we didn't learn faster than other people, we would lose. So Chris worked incredibly hard on developing this learning culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I would love to say I bought into it immediately, but... I was kind of at the old school of just going, work harder, work <laughs> harder, and it'll be okay. I'll just do an extra four kilometers every session or... Yeah. I mean, it was rubbish. It's incredible how you sort of turned it around after two years, sort of from seventh to, to first. Yeah, so I mean, we... Um, my, my, the first seven years in, I was in the rowing team, mm-hmm. I, World Championships I fit, or Olympics, I finished sixth, seventh, or eighth. And, and yeah, it was consistent. Um, and we, through a change of culture, we went from being seventh two years before the Olympics to actually second at the World Championships the year before to winning at the Olympics. And actually, the only in nine years in the national team, the only three races I won were actually the last three races I did. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> it took a long time to learn how to win. And I spent seven years training my ass off. I was oh. highly motivated. I worked really, really hard. But I just did the same thing harder and harder and harder. And it took it took a number of people to help me, to help us as a group, look at things differently and go, actually, you know, we've, we've got to change the culture. From a culture of hard work, yes, we need to keep working hard, but we need to change to a culture of, of learning. Mm-hmm. And, and that would deliver a high-performance culture where we could change, where we could then win. Okay. And, and it was... Yeah, it was hard, but it was what we had to do. I guess it was worth it in the end. Totally. Mm. Totally. I guess uh, with this um, high-performance um, culture, and playing sort of devil's advocate here, so you're seventh in the world, yeah. or you're like, you've come fifth or sixth. Did anyone in your team think, oh, I'll take that for now? Or was it always like, we want more, we want more? Even if you finish first, we want more distance. Because that could be quite a tough thing to sort of get over because if you're sixth in the world like on the grand scheme of things that's huge that's right bad, yeah. yeah yeah i'll take that <laughs> so 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 we got when we so we came back from the world championships in 98 bitterly disappointed um and we had a number of conversations trying to work out actually what do we want to achieve because qualifying for the olympics you could look at that and go that's pretty good hmm. uh making a final being olympic finalist that would be good or you know medalist but we decided that actually what we wanted was to win uh, and we kept coming back to it it wasn't we put it out there and we just we kept coming back to it going really really what do we want is this still what we really want and when we came second at the world championships the year before the olympics it was 
what we had developed seemed to be pretty clear that that could give us an Olympic silver medal. Mm-hmm. We didn't think we could actually beat the fastest crew in the world because we, we were just giving them too much of a lead at the start. And we had a conversation after that going, do we stick with what we know now? Do we stick with what we've got? And we're pretty sure that will give us a silver. Or are we willing to change what we're doing significantly to give us a chance of winning? So really, what do we want to do? And again, we came back and we went, we want to win. So therefore, we'll take another risk and change a whole load of stuff to give us a chance of winning. And with each, with so many decisions, we'd come back to going, so am I going to make this, am I going to do this based on friendship, based on maintaining the status quo in the team and keeping everyone comfortable and all right? Am I going to do it based on my ego? Or am I going to do it because it's going to help us win? Really, what's the most important thing? Therefore, what are we going to make a decision around? So so we kept, and the people who were happy going, Seventh is all right. They just <laughs> didn't make it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, fair enough. We needed to be aligned around what was what was most important, what we wanted to do, and that was winning. But we couldn't control winning, so we came up with the question: Will I make the boat go faster? Because that's the bit we could control. Mm. We couldn't control how fast the Russians or the Germans went. All we could do was control our boat speed. So that's what effectively was the most important thing: mm-hmm. Will I make the boat go faster? the whole time and talking with this sort of um, constant change I think um, many businesses today in today's age especially with them um, so many things going on like digital disruption multi-generational workforce um, is there ever too much change for businesses looking to rehaul or like get better or improve their sort of work structure do you feel yeah so I think I think that is an issue mm. um, I think that I think that change whether it be in business or in sport can happen in two kind of ways. You can have the continuous learning, the performance culture type approach where people are continuous learning. And then also you need people who are probably separate looking at the revolution type change, looking at what are the big different things we can do. I think expecting everybody in an organization to be looking for the big revolutionary changes and the day-to-day I think is really, really tough. Mm. Um, So I think actually having in a large organization to well, an organization of any size to get a couple of people going right I want you to focus on what's the big next stuff the whether it's digital or whatever it is you know you come up with plans there and everybody else you know if stuff comes up absolutely let's know about it but the key focus of improvement you've got to be doing is the is the day-to-day performance improvement doing both at the same time so getting the same people to do both at the same time I think is really really hard mm. And organisations sometimes expect that, and I think is expecting too much. Okay. And in this sort of um, looking looking forward to the future of work and and sport in general. So, like uh, I can imagine, um, where you when you're in your prime of rowing, um, in comparison to now, the technology and the analysis and the data is all taken like a significant um, step in sort of an advanced sort of world. And the same with um, same with work as well. So, like people are more using digital collaboration tools. There's more learning platforms. Do you feel like there can ever be any risks with um, implementing these new technologies? Because um, back from when you were um, like rowing for the national team, um, the culture was very much instilled and um, that sort of hardworking culture and the psychology. Do you ever feel like this new digital age may sort of um, overwhelm that hardworking base of culture? So I think that um, I think there are a few points in there. I think that. Um we now have more data available, and sometimes we think that makes it easier. But actually, as far as I'm aware, there's never perfect data. 
and we've still got to come back to make d decisions about which bit of data we're actually really going to look at and what we're going to do. So our human knowledge, instinct, skills still need to be able to interpret the data that we have and with more data I think that can become harder. Mm -hmm. I think that um, with very often in global organizations where people are scattered all over the world I think that um, I think it's hard and I think also in, in matrixed organizations where people sit in five different teams I think understanding actually which teams you sit in is really important and then understanding what roles you have in those teams and then then working out what are the best platforms and tools to actually help you in those different teams and it might be different in different teams mm. and I think assuming one size fits all I think is wrong um, and there is a risk of overload so overload of data platforms all the rest of it so I think if you know you're in five different teams a product team a client team a European team a, you know whatever the hell they are then actually understanding how each team is going to operate and making up kind of team rules for each team so you understand what's expected in the different roles, different teams, I think is really, I think is becoming more and more important. Mm -hmm. In kind of times gone by when you were in one, possibly two teams, it was easier. And kind of different platforms makes it easier to communicate but can also really confuse things unless you know what the rules are for, for the particular team you're, you're in and how much of the time you're going to be in it. Mm. And if you're in five different teams and you're giving 20% of your time to each team, then other people have got to understand that, that yeah. when you step into your team, you've got 20%, they've got 20% of your time and mind share, and therefore the team rules and ways of collaborating have got to be set up to work for that rather than just assuming that you're online the whole time and you'll be looking at everything, mm. which is just... It's just not going to work out. Yeah, makes sense. And yeah, that you made a great point about sort of, do you feel like uh, as teams expand, it gets a lot more difficult um, from your experience? Because um, I can imagine, once again, in the, in the national team, it was quite easy to instill the same culture because you had the same number of people, if I'm correct, to be correct me if I'm wrong. But then for, uh, for startups especially, it's I think it's a lot more easier to have a distinct culture. And as you get wider and as you get wider and as you get more global and more diverse, it becomes a lot more difficult to sort of find a sort of same, similar culture. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think that the smaller the team, the team leader, the person who controls the team culture, influence the team culture, they can you know, influence everybody. Um, the bigger the team, the harder it is to do. And people sometimes talk about high-performing organizations, and I'm not sure I've seen many. Mm. I've seen organizations that are great where certain cultures, departments, teams are amazing and others are not so good. And a lot of that comes down to a leader's ability to influence the culture. And a chief executive of a large organization can't influence everything. It's got to come down to the individual leaders of individual teams and getting them bought into the culture. So I think going from startup to bigger organization, making the transition where rather than it being down to one person to set the tone, you know, that person has got to work incredibly closely with the people who will then be responsible for the culture in their teams. <laughs> and if they don't do that job well enough, then you can't expect the different teams yeah. um, to have the right culture. So I think the way you 
instill culture and behaviors has got to change as organizations get bigger and it definitely gets harder so it's more important to spend time and energy on it do you you ever lead did you ever have like a distinct leader in the national team so in our crew we didn't actually have a distinct leader no we had we um different people step um stood forward and took the lead at different times really Mm -hmm. so the cox who steers the boat during a race they've kind of got the leadership role but he wasn't necessarily the leader the coach has absolutely got a leadership role, but his view was he wasn't in the boat and he wanted us to lead it from the boat because we were actually the people involved. Okay. So there were a few different people who stood stood up at different times and took the lead. Rather, We did we did try appointing a captain and he was the next person to get dropped. So after that, we didn't bother with a kind of formal <laughs> captain role. We had a kind of more fluid model where when people had the right experience, the right knowledge, they took the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then passed it on when somebody else had better skills and knowledge to lead at that particular point in time which was manageable in a small group of people do you feel like that was the right way to go or um, would you change yeah. it now looking back on it yeah no i think it was a pretty good way to go i think mm. with who we had i think it was i think it did work and our coach not being authoritative and making all decisions and getting us to make the decisions made it much much harder but mm. if it had been all on him he didn't know all the answers yeah and his view of getting you know he had a whole lot of semi-intelligent people in the boat, you know, getting everybody's input, everybody's view, and making collective decisions. In a small group, it worked really, really well for us. It was hard. It was harder than if we had been told what to do, but it led to better decisions and a better outcome. Mm. Yeah, I guess um, sport is quite um, subjective. Like, um, there's no right answer, I think. Yeah, but I think also in most businesses, there aren't that often right answers. Yeah, true. There's a variety of the data will produce a whole load of different things, and then somebody's got to have, through gut feel and experience, be able to interpret the data in a way that feels right. Mm. And there'll be lots of different right answers, but what's critical is agreeing which are the right answers you're going to go forward with, and then you actually go forward with that, rather than having five right answers and people being pulled in five different directions. Mm. That's true. Great point. And sort of um, looking at high-performance teams um, into the future, what do you feel like are going to be the main challenges with the next five to ten years for businesses? So I think I think time and distance of where people are based in the world, um, I think are going to be challenges. And I think also, um, I think that people's ways of working are just changing, where um, I think there are more and more people who don't necessarily just want to be employed doing one thing. Mm. Uh, in my business, we have people who have other interests, and they actually don't necessarily want to work five days a week f- for us. They want to work most of the time for us, but they also want their t- time and energy to do their own things. So I think managing flexibility, flexibility of where people are working, when they're working, how much time of their you know, time and brain power they're giving to you rather than the other projects they're doing, I think those are going to become more challenging. So I think that understanding, having the clarity of the goal for the for your organization, you know, so when people are actually with you, they know exactly what they're trying to do so that they can make better decisions. If they've got less time or they're working on their own, or whatever, they've got to be able to make better decisions more easily about what they should be doing. So therefore they need absolute clarity about what's really most important. And if people can't tell you what's most important if they can't answer the question or tell you what their version of will it make the boat go faster is then then i think that's when things will break down pretty badly yeah 
that flexibility is quite key because um, not everyone likes the same thing. So um, businesses could be like Friday drinks on a Friday evening or work from home on a Monday. Or actually, like if you have 50 people, then not everyone's going to be um, going to be like could be happy with that really. And if you have like a ping pong table in the office, like it's going to cause loud like noises. Some people might like that. Some people might not. So that communication and transparency is really key, I think, in today's age. This morning in the office, I made a suggestion about a um, table football. I've just kind of get hold of a table football table and so now shall I bring it into the office and TV went yeah great and TV went no uh, so it's a difficult one and and um, in, in my business we don't have any rules on um, flexible working because there's no point because rules will never ever work what we've tried to do is lay out some sensible guidelines and just and, and those sort of things we're always addressing we're always addressing going, okay what's changed what's different and I think trying to operate to rigid rules or trying to, if you've got some rules or guidelines, assuming that they're going to last forever or for a, you know, for even a year, I think might be the wrong thing because mm-hmm. people are just demanding more flexibility. Yeah. And f- so I think companies have got to be, have got to be really willing to let people to be flexible so that you can get the best out of people in a way that works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Yes, in large, in large organisations, there might be more people who are willing to give 100% of their time, their working time, to an organisation. But in smaller organisations, I think it's pretty different. Yeah. And since starting, will make the boat go faster? Have you noticed a distinct sort of change in um, demands for work and like flexibility and everything like that? Yeah. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But people are demanding far, far more flexibility. Um, and, and it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense. Uh, I mean, if people have got long commutes, why should they spend so much time commuting? I mean, it's just it's just not a good use of time. Yeah. If the weather's great, I mean, do you really want to spend all afternoon when you know in the office when actually you could have started work a few hours earlier? Or they're just I think that um, I think that that flexibility just it makes really good sense. But for us, we talk about it's got to make sense for the individual and for the company. It can't be solely what works for the individual. It's got to be a two-way thing. Mm-hmm. And people have got to be making decisions based on both sides of the equation. But I, I think people are going to be demanding more and more flexibility um, mm-hmm. as we go forward. And I think leadership has got to change because of it. And company structures are going to have to change because of it too. Mm. Is that an exciting future, I'm guessing? For, yeah, I think yeah. it's really yeah, exciting. Exactly. I think it's... Yeah, I've got no idea what the answers are. <laughs> but I, I think it'll be really interesting to go through a... Um, to go through a whole lot of thinking to, to work out what are the answers for now, knowing there won't be the answers for a year's time. Mm. But it, it will keep evolving. How to get the best out of your people. That's important. Absolutely. <clears throat> mm. Absolutely. If people aren't engaged, if they aren't aligned, then you won't be getting as much out of them as you can. Yeah. So I think it's absolutely critical to provide, to provide people with the clarity and the freedom so they can be as good as they can be. So they, they can be high-performing in the sense of rather than they just work hard and deliver results, but actually they can be learning for whatever's going to come next around the corner, Yeah. for whatever changes in the environment, the business, the industry are coming. We need people who are constantly learning so they can be be ready and adapting for it and it'll be easy for business leaders as well because they'll be bringing their whole self to work they'll feel more purposeful going into work they'll feel more flexible and everything like that so I, I, ideally yeah. if uh, so people have got to be they've got to be an emotional connection there's got to be a values connection between how they're spending their time 
Because mm-hmm. if not, you've got people who turn up and do the hours rather than actually give all the intellect and brain power they've got. Yeah. That was a great point to end on. Thank you so much for your time, Ben. It was lovely speaking to you. Great speaking to you. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you for tuning in to HLD Live. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll be talking to a new guest. See you then.